empowering you with strategies to succeed. This is Jen Tringale, and you're listening to the Jen Tringale Podcast. And welcome to the podcast. This is Jen Tringale. We have started a new series on the podcast called Box Breakers. And this has come out of this general sense of knowing that all of us are being compelled to step out in new ways. And to do so requires not just that we think out of the box, but that we step out of the box. Boxes of how we functioned in the past. This moment is requiring us to move forward in brand new ways. Well, my guest on the podcast this month is the perfect person to speak into this moment. He is quoted as saying that it took him years to realize that his calling was shaking up people's thinking and making change happen. He is a filmmaker, a writer, media consultant, and founder of Cook Media Group, My guest today is Phil Cook. Phil has been called one of the most innovative communicators of our generation. He has been a contributor for Fox News, Wired.com, The Huffington Post, and Forbes.com. Listen, his insight and revelation into what it takes to be a box breaker is something that is going to benefit all of us. Enjoy my conversation with Phil Cook. Phil, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, I am thrilled to be here, Jen. I think this is going to be kind of fun. Well, I'm really looking forward to it too. Listen, I'm just going to tell you up front, you have been like on my interview wish list for a while now. I have followed your stuff for a long time. Your Instagram has been a daily reprieve for me, an awesome dose of humor, but just everything that you've been so consistent to put out with through the years. And I just, when we started into the series that we're on, on box breakers, especially for right now, it was like, could we make this happen? And so the fact that it's happening now, I'm just so, so thrilled. I know it's going to get good. Oh, I'm honored. It's going to be really fun. No, I'm excited about it. This is right up my alley. So let's pull the trigger and go. All right. That sounds good. So listen, before we jump into the deep end, we like to ask our guests a few get to know you questions that the world is dying to know the answers to, Phil. If they want to know these get to know you <laughs> questions. First one is yep. so deep. Hey, what is your current go-to Starbucks drink? Are you a coffee drinker? I am, big time. But I'm an Americano guy. I firmly believe that if your coffee order takes more than four words, you're part of the problem. So (laughs) I I go simply with Americano and let it go with that. I love it. A man after my own heart. I'm right with you on that Americano. (laughs) Okay, and then what is a book right now that you're reading or maybe you have read in the past that was just something that lit something on the inside of you? What comes to mind? Well, it's interesting. I have an interesting reading pattern. I'll read something heavy, like I'm reading uh, N.T. Wright's biography of the Apostle Paul right now. And then on the other side, I'll read something that's very creative-oriented, productivity-oriented, something like that. Like I'm reading about Paul. I'm also reading one called The Morning Mind, which is a book about kind of how to develop your creative potential in the morning. I'm a morning person. Everybody has their circadian rhythm. I'm really amazing between 6 a.m. and noon from 
a creative standpoint. Afternoon, I'm pretty worthless. I can do interviews, I can teach, I can work with clients, but for pure creativity, writing and you know developing talks and things like that, I'm a morning person. So understanding that really helps. So this book, The Morning Mind, has really been significant to help me understand how to maximize that time. Wow, I love that. That's an incredible thought right there is just pinpointing what your creative time yeah. frame is. What's interesting is I'm a morning person. My wife is a late night person. She keeps rock star hours. She becomes better, you know, the longer the day goes on. And there's a small sliver of people that perform the best in the afternoon. I don't get that at all, but there are. I've discovered early on that if you can figure out that time of day when you're most creative, most productive, and you really kind of block out that time of day to focus on the most difficult or creative problems you have, your productivity will go through the roof. So it really is a more significant thing than we realize. Wow. Hey, podcast interview over. I mean, that was worth it right there. <laughs> that was uh, killer. Well, you know what? It's I funny, Jen. It's, it's funny. I've also discovered that the second part of that is where you're most creative. I'm easily distracted. So in my office, I have five windows. Three are translucent. You can see light, but you can't see through them. And the other two have giant slats on them, big shutters. I've read some research that indicates the dull roar of coffee shop conversation is very stimulating to some people. So it's interesting that you find out where you're most creative and that'll really help too. So what time of day and where you're most creative completely will transform your productivity. And I'd encourage people listening to really try to focus on that. Yeah, that is an awesome tip. And that book sounds great too, The Morning Mine. Mine. So that's a good Amazon order right there. Okay. Phil Cook, the world wants to know what is, in my estimation, what is your preferred right now social media platform? All the ones that are out there. What do you like? I used to like Twitter the most. I still do like Twitter a lot. It's so simple. It's easy. And and I really like a lot of leaders are there. Facebook, I'm not such a big fan of, but you mentioned Instagram earlier. And It's funny that Instagram has kind of become my playground. When I teach social media, I tell people disregard everything I say about social media when it comes to my Instagram page, because I just have fun with it. It's kind of a real, an outlet for me. And I actually have, I'll post things that I have, I have pastors, for instance, will send me stuff that's really funny. And they'll say, well, I'm a pastor. I can't post this, but you can. And so I I get all kinds of stuff sent to me and I'm a very visual person. I love how Instagram is very visual. So I'd probably say if I had to eliminate everything but one, I'd probably stick with Instagram. I just want to totally echo that a lot of us live vicariously through your Instagram post. <laughs> it's like a pressure valve, Phil. It's, it lets off a little of the steam and we go, at least somebody's saying it. So we're funny. all grateful for that. Hey, I really want to just dive right into sure. our conversation with you. And wow, could this not be better time? Because We're doing a podcast series on box breakers and being non-conformist and not out of angst, but out of a sense of affecting culture, making an impact and recognizing that we are living in the most unique moment that is requiring box breakers. You have just released a book, Maximize Your Influence, How to Make Digital Media Work for Your Church, Your Ministry, and You. But I was just telling you before we went live here, what an incredible book this is. I mean, even though it's loads of practical, it almost, Phil, has like a prophetic edge to it because of what it's speaking to. So I want to read a quote and then ask you to just jump off from this, if I can. Sure. You made the statement, few men and women in the ministry world are truly unique and different. 
God is the great creator. And yet most ministry leaders simply copy what they see on TV or hear on a podcast, listen to the old Apple computer ads and think different. God created you as a unique individual. So what does that mean for the type of vision you're called to accomplish and the people you're called to reach? When I read that, it just went off on me and I just went, oh my gosh, there is way too much cookie cutter going on. What sparked that thought in you? Well, over the years, I've worked with hundreds of leaders, mostly pastors and ministry leaders. Our company, Cook Media Group, focuses mostly on helping Christians tell their story more effectively. But I've worked with all kinds of leaders. And so often when I ask them, what is their message? What's unique about them? What do they really feel called to do with their life? They show me somebody else. They say, I want to be like that guy, or I want to be like that woman, or I want to be like that person. And they're not trying to be unique at all. And the truth is, I respond with, well, you know, God already made that person. We don't need another one of those. God already made that that woman or that guy. We don't need another one of those. And I really do believe we all have a unique fingerprint. We all have a unique voice, a unique message that we're called to deliver. The problem is there's a lot of things in our culture that force us into this common mold that forces us to compromise. And I think social media is a big one of those things. We talked about Instagram. We live in a world today where college students are embarrassed to go away to college if they, if they don't have more than a few hundred followers on social media. People's self-esteem, their sense of identity is being shaped by what they see and what responses they get to their pictures on social media. So, so often people are pushed into conformity. In fact, I've had many leaders, particularly pastors, who uh, will sit down to have a session, you know, kind of a strategy session about how to position them or their message. And they'll say, let me show you this, this sermon that this guy did. I want to be like that. Or let me show you this worship set this church did. We want to be more like that. And I just think comparison is the worst thing ever. And I think we spend so much time comparing ourselves to other people instead of trying to figure out, okay, what's unique about me? What makes me different in the world? And that's where we really need to focus because trust me, down deep, we're all quite different. We're all unique. And it may be uncomfortable at times because we might not be the same as other people, but I really do believe if we can figure out what that fingerprint is and what God essentially put us on the earth to solve, what's the thing we're supposed to do? That will open up doors that you can't believe. Yeah. And I love the wording that you use there, fingerprint, because we all have fingers, but the fingerprint of all of us is unique. And that seems to be a lot of what's happening right now. We may, in the big picture, a lot of us be doing similar things, but you should be on a journey, is what I'm hearing you say, of boiling that down to what's the unique fingerprint. And I caught this in your book, and I wanted to ask you to speak to what that process has been like for you, because obviously you're Phil Cook, Cook Media, (laughs) you've been involved in helping to shape the story, the branding, the look of most of the major ministries that we know today, and you're involved in film and television, even through secular media. But you said, it took me years to realize that my calling is shaking up people's thinking and making change happen. Well, when I read that, when you said that, I thought, okay, we all know Phil Cook from affecting media, but somewhere you went through that process yourself of going, really, this is what I do. How did you get to that? Yeah, even at this point in my life, I I wake up every once in a while thinking, why is it taking me so long to figure this out? I think that constantly reevaluating, I have a little plaque on my desk from Michelangelo, the great artist from the Renaissance, who said, I'm always learning. And I think the minute we think we have it figured out, we've started declining. And so Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always trying to figure out what that voice is for me. I'm not at 
all where I thought I would be when I left college. Not even remotely. Really? In fact, I was fired at 36 years old. I thought I was doing pretty well in life, but I was working for a major organization, directing national television programs. And I was married. I had two young kids. I was living in the Midwest and I got fired. And looking back over all these years, I, I can see now in the rearview mirror that it was not that leader that fired me. It was God that fired me because I, I'm the king of rationalization. I was living in the Midwest. I knew God wanted me in Hollywood. I knew he wanted us to come to LA. Our kids were in good schools. We had a great church. We had our friends there. And I, I was rationalizing, thinking, well, maybe I can commute. Maybe I can just go every once in a while. Uh, they're shooting all over the place. Why can't I live in the Midwest? And I think God finally fired me just to get my attention and to get me moving. Wow. And literally... After that happened, my life dramatically changed. And so I, I'm the first to tell people when you hit a when you feel like you've hit a wall, that could be just a new chapter starting in your life because you just never know mm. what God's up to. And if you're open to that kind of change and certainly don't get stuck in, you know, your perceived ideas of what your life should be, I think you'd be amazed at what could actually what could actually happen out there. But it was a real process for me. Wow. And it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is this is a lifelong process. Do you think we keep boiling that down, like getting to the nitty gritty of that fingerprint more and more through life if we're willing? That's the way it's worked for me. I would like yeah. to have more confidence that I, I latched onto something permanent. And I think maybe some people do. I'm not here to say that, uh, you know, if you feel like God's called you to something, you love it, that's your sweet spot and you're doing great, fine, stick with it. Here's the thing. The Bible says God's word never changes. But trust me, everything else does. Trends change, culture changes, people change, yeah. styles change. And so even though we may be on the same path with the same message, the way we express that message may need to change over the years. I had a revelation about eight or 10 years ago that I, I woke up one day and looked at the work of my peers, other producers doing what I do in the media and realized my stuff was looking pretty dated. And it was a real wake up call that, that back about six or eight years earlier, I'd won a lot of awards, I'd gotten a lot of recognition. And I've discovered that as leaders, we tend to get stuck in a period where we get a lot of acclaim. And so mm. I kind of gotten stuck in the way I produce videos, the way I told stories. So I started surrounding myself with people smarter than me, people younger than me, people that weren't afraid to challenge my creativity and my ideas. And that was a dramatic jumping off point for me. That was a huge step forward because it really made me shake things up. So I just encourage people always be looking around, seeing, you know, taking a hard look at what you do. I tell people to be gracious with everybody else, but be ruthless with yourself. Absolutely ruthless because we're always in need of just that reality check. Are, are we doing what we really set out to do? Are we doing what God's called us to do? And are yeah. we making that kind of progress? Yeah. And that takes a certain amount of guts, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, it's painful sometimes. No question. Yeah. I mean, it, it just takes guts. You know, I'm just thinking through conversations that I know I've had with peers and people, like you said, that have already reached certain levels of success. And in the middle of this current climate that we're in, no matter what industry you're wanting to influence or affect, it's in such transition and change. So it throws us in transition into change. And it seems to me like the ones that are making the transition, and I wanted to ask you to speak to this, yeah. it's almost like you have to be willing to leave who you were or what you were doing or how you were doing it 
and live in that space for a little bit of not knowing. That's a great way to put it. It can be terrifying. You know, it's funny, my, you mentioned Jolt when we were talking earlier, and that was my first major book that I had published. And literally the month it came out, Borders Books, which at the time was one of the largest chain of bookstores in the country, went out of business. So it was like a real wake-up call to me that things are not going to be the same. And, and the book yeah. industry has just gone, continued downhill ever since then. I was born yeah. at the wrong time to be a writer. But I, I know that God's got a purpose in this. And I'm, I'm an obsessive writer. I'm, I'm going to write whether I get paid for it. I'm going to write if, any, if nobody reads it just because I love doing it. And I think we just have to understand that we may not get the response we like all the time. We may not get the results we like all the time. You know, it's funny. This is an interesting conversation because so many people get hung up on passion. And, and maybe this is a different conversation, mm. but I get a lot of people that are just, their whole focus is on being passionate about something. And I'm, I'm good with that. I don't have a problem with passion, mm -hmm. except I get a lot of, for instance, screenplays from writers and they'll say, Phil, I'm so passionate about writing. And I want to say, yeah, but you're terrible at it. You stink at it. And I just, <laughs> I really think we get so focused on passion that we've got to remember what are we really wired to do? It's a little harder Good. question. I wrote a book a few years after Jolt called One Big Thing, Discovering What You Were Born to Do. And I just met so many people that have gone through their whole life and never figured out what I was really put on the earth to do and figure out first what you're wired to do, what your gifts, your talents, uh, what your perspective yes. is on things. You figure that out. And then trust me, you'll get passionate about it pretty quick once you start seeing results. So I just say, don't get hung up on passion too soon. I, I Passion derailed my career for about 15 years, I have to admit. Once I recognized that, I got back on track, but it cost me 15 years of my career. So I just, wow. I really believe that it's not passion so much that drives us as much as discovering what we were really wired and put on the earth to accomplish. When we figure that out, that. things will dramatically change. That's such a great statement and really kind of helps inform keeping you out of that comparison thing then, doesn't it? True. Absolutely true. Yeah. And if what's funny is my wife and I differ on this. She loves the passion thing. She's, she, you know, she's a yeah. real passionate person, but I just, you know, my, my feeling is too many people stop there. And they really yeah. don't take the time. I'm, I'm a big believer that, that, for instance, when it comes to filmmaking, when it comes to entertainment media, where I work, how you tell the story is just as important as the story you tell. And I find plenty of writers and artists and filmmakers that are passionate about telling stories, but they don't take the time to learn how to tell that story well. They're too busy to take writing classes. They're too busy to find a mentor to learn filmmaking. And as a result, they're passionate, but they're not very good. And so I'm a much yeah. bigger believer in being great at something, really find out what you're wired to do and, and really pursue that with everything you've got. Let passion follow that and it'll open a lot of That's doors. That's so good. That's tremendous advice. So you're saying then, if I'm reading between the lines, <laughs> that the old, but God told me to call my book this. I had a vision and I'm telling you, this is the, in fact, I was telling my producer before we went live that when I was reading your book, I'm not just trying to fan your flame. I had tears pouring down my face and I have to read this. I said, should I mention this on the podcast or not? She's like, yes. I had tears pouring down my face because in your book, it's full of so much great advice for navigating whatever kind of media, but you were talking about secrets of making a great presentation or for those that want to be speakers. And you were talking about the importance of titles. I can't even get it out without laughing. And you use this example, Phil, and I just, I'm still laughing. Your point was keep it short. You said, so a title like my life as a missionary was. 
Yeah. My life as a missionary with a limited financial budget and a wacky family in the remote jungle of Uganda probably isn't going to have the best impact. <laughs> Good point. You must have heard some terrible titles through the years. Oh, I have. I've I've speak at a lot of conferences. That's a real issue with me, actually. You know, at least create a title that people will want to hear, and uh, even if it's right. not accurate. But uh, right. yeah, there's some people out there and academic conferences are the absolute worst. Oh. But, you know, going back to your, your mention about the Lord told me to do this, the Lord told me to do that. This is a great example. And the example I share with filmmakers and artists and creative people who want to come to Hollywood is when you go to Hollywood or anywhere else in your career, don't lead with your faith, lead with your talent. Every year mm. I'll meet somebody who comes to Hollywood and will say, you know, Phil, God's called me to come to Hollywood to change the industry. He's called me to create a new kind of movie. He's called me to put God on the map. And when those guys go to the studio and share that with a net TV network or a you know producer at a studio, they laugh them off a lot. Nobody takes that seriously. It's ridiculous. Right. But if you come out here and you're a brilliant actor or writer or director or producer, let me tell you something that gets people's attention. And then once yeah. they respect you for your gift, they'll listen to anything you have to say. I, I've right. never had any pushback over the years. And I've been here a very long time. I've never had any pushback because I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, because I don't lead with that. I lead with my ability to direct or produce. And once I win their trust and they see that I'm talented in that area, they're open to listening to anything I have to say. And there are hundreds of Christians at high levels here in Hollywood who would say the same thing. So I, yeah, okay. I don't, don't lead with God told me to do this or do that. He may have, and I'm not denying that he, you know, he told you to do something. However, I wouldn't necessarily lead with that. Lead with your gift, lead with your ability, and that will get their trust and that'll open doors. Yeah, that's so, so good. And doors that we need sons and daughters of God, believers, Christ followers to get through, especially in media, but in every part of culture, we need people who understand these truths, right? To lead with their skill and their talent and then be in the room where the decisions are made with their faith. It sounds like you're saying you're seeing more of that now than maybe in years past. Is that true? There oh, yeah. When I, when I first came to Hollywood years ago, Christians were hard to come by. You know, there weren't nearly as many as there are now. And I got off the phone this morning with a couple of women professionals uh, that worked at Apple, and they were Christians, really strong Christians. And they were telling me about the, the Christian group they have there that meets regularly. And so we're seeing Christian influence in Silicon Valley. We're seeing it in Hollywood. We're seeing it in advertising okay. agencies across the country. And I think it's because these were people who were great producers first. They were great writers. That's how they open those doors. And then they come and share their faith with people and that grows. And so, because I speak from the Hollywood perspective, I really think that we should stop thinking about Hollywood as the enemy and start yes. thinking about Hollywood as a mission field. And, we're, and no, nobody changes because you criticize them and get upset with them, but it's only because we've infiltrated them, we get inside and we can make change happen from there. I think that's what really works. Yeah, that's so, so good. Talking about box breaking and being nonconformist, you make a point in your book about how imperative it is that we remember that the power of our faith in Christ includes it being distinctive and the necessity of not pandering to the crowd, but holding on to the distinctive power of our faith sounds to me like that's what informs sort of finding that fingerprint thing. It that really you does. Do. That's a I mean, great would point. you say that, 
the two are married? Yeah, I think they really are. I, I mentioned earlier, I'm reading N.T. Wright's biography of the Apostle Paul, and Paul was brilliant at what he did. He was a really, really well-educated Jewish leader of his time. When he became a Christian, we had that dramatic Damascus Road experience. He suddenly didn't start preaching a new religion. He started preaching the fulfillment of the one he had followed his whole life. But he did it in such a dramatically unique and different way, it got people's mm. attention. When he would go to a new city, go to the synagogue and start teaching, people immediately noticed, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Every person, we don't need another Billy Graham. We don't need another, you know, Craig Groeschel or Brian Houston or Andy Stanley. We don't need those guys. They're great. I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. What we need is you. We need somebody that comes from your perspective and your background that has your unique history. It's funny. I, whenever I speak on this, I always have people come up and tell me, but you know, Phil, nobody cares about my past. I don't live a very exciting life. Nobody's interested. Well, I can tell you after decades of doing this, there's somebody out there that needs to hear your story. They really, really do. And I don't care what you've been through in your past. Somebody needs to hear how God's brought you along and gotten you to this place. So I'm a big believer that we should all learn to share our story more effectively and understand and value that story because God put us here for really a divine purpose in a divine moment in history. And let's take advantage yeah. of that. Yeah, absolutely. I thought this is so helpful to exactly what we're talking about. You talked about in your book how as adults, we get too many hangups. This is so great. When it comes to our potential and possibilities, and we wind up putting restrictions on what we think we can do because our perception of adulthood is about reality restrictions and responsibilities, and that maybe that sort of is what keeps us in those boxes or puts us in the conformist and comparison mode. But you really kind of have to exit out of that, don't you, in order to move into these places of stepping in and owning your unique fingerprint. Yeah, I, that really resonated with me. Your illustration of a box is good. And, I, you know, sometimes we talk about thinking outside the box and it becomes kind of trite. However, a box of illustration is great because sometimes we get trapped in a box and we can't see it, what's on the other side of those four walls. I think you're right. We need a bigger perspective. I'm a big believer. I travel a lot, probably, probably way too much for a normal person. I put in about a quarter of a million miles a year. I've filmed in probably 60 countries around the world and spoken in another 10 or 20 on top of that. And I get to see life from a lot of different perspectives. And once you've yeah. seen that, you can never go back to being your old self again. And I think mm -hmm. what God's calling us to is to rise up and see the world from a bigger vision. He sees the biggest vision of all, and we should yeah. do our very best to see that kind of perspective because it does change our picture of the world. And you see it on social media. I see people that are so hysterical on social media. I think, you know, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's politics or whatever it is, some people just get caught in this box and it's all they can think about. I think we just need to so rise true. up and look at the world in a bigger way. Yeah. I love that statement out of Alice in Wonderland. And the writer wrote, it's no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. True. Absolutely. You can't step into the same river twice. It's constantly moving, constantly changing. When we realize that about our growth trajectory, now here's here's another issue. We have to constantly be learning and growing for that to happen. Right. You no, know, if right. you're the same, if you think the same way about everything you did five or 10 years ago, that means you're stuck. 
I want to right. be constantly. It doesn't mean I change my basic beliefs. It doesn't change, you know, my, my relationship with God. But the way I look at the world is changing. And I want to constantly be growing, learning more, expanding my mind, thinking in different ways. That's the key to creativity. It's funny. Mm. People come up to me a lot and say, Phil, I'm not creative. I wasn't born creative. Let me say, there's no evidence whatsoever, no research at all that indicates some people are born creative and some aren't. In fact, put a bunch of toddlers mm. in a room and they're all wildly creative. But what's interesting, Jen, is True. there's also research that indicates about age six, we start losing our creativity, which means there's something about schooling in America, our educational system that makes us start getting less creative. So I just think creativity ah. is like a muscle. If we don't use it, we'll lose it eventually. And so I encourage people, everybody's wow. creative. Let's just do things differently, drive home from work a different way, think differently, start getting that creative muscle worked out a little bit, and you'll see a real difference in the way you look at life. That's really good. And that leads to a question I wanted to ask you, just helping people kind of do this, go, okay, I want to be a box breaker. And maybe my life, maybe my job is forcing me into that but how do I do this? So let me ask you this. If we've got individuals that are listening going, clearly I'm going to have to engage my creativity. How do I do that? If you hit a creative wall, Phil, what do you do to kind of push through that? What are some tools you've employed that work? Well, it's interesting that it doesn't take much, actually. It takes very, very little. So there's a lot of research that indicates simply taking a walk will suddenly spur creativity. Most creative artists will tell you about midday. I like to do it about 2.30 in the afternoon when I hit a wall. I want to go take a walk and I come back completely energized. Um, so little wow. things like that. I have a basketball hoop set up in my garage. I'll go out and shoot baskets a little bit or I'll go read a book. So often we get stuck in one mode of thinking. And so when we hit a wall, mm. the best thing is get out of that rut and do something different. It could be for 10 minutes or 30 minutes. It doesn't, doesn't have to be long, but just yeah. stretching other muscles, whether it's mental or physical, makes a dramatic difference in getting back on track. So really, it doesn't take very much to re-energize yourself. Sometimes it's eating. Go have, have your favorite four-titled coffee word, whatever it is you have for coffee. <laughs> Whatever your name for your coffee is, go have that. Just do something different. Call a friend, chat with That's them good. for a little bit and get back. You know, we live in such a distracted world. It's easy to get distracted from the thing we're right. trying to do. So the key is just when you find yourself getting distracted or bored or the resistance is too strong, just stop, yeah. take a walk, do something different, come back in 30 minutes and you'll be amazed at how, how energized wow. you'll be. I love that. It's, so it's not really rocket science, is it? It's really not. It's absolutely not. So often we think, particularly if we haven't been wildly creative most of our life or our career, we think it's some mystery out there, but it's really yeah. not. In fact, my ultimate definition of being creative is being a problem solver. Creativity is all about solving problems. And if you can mm. get that in your head, then anybody could be creative remarkably easily. So don't think of creativity as being, I have to you know, invent the next great movie or write the great American novel. Think of creativity simply as being a problem solver and get started thinking in that way. And that's going to be a huge, huge way to really get your life back on track. I love that. You know, and really what you just mentioned was sort of the brainchild that birthed this conversation about being a box breaker mm -hmm. that we're having. And it was the idea that we are called to be solutions to the problems that are facing this generation. And so kind of starting from that premise of being a solution and not just 
can you be my connect to help me climb the ladder? Can you help me do my next thing? And starting from a me perspective, but really beginning this from I'm here to help be a solution perspective, sounds like it should actually help feed into opening up new pathways of creativity. That's really quite brilliant. There's a saying out there that followers spend 95% of their time thinking about the problem and 5% thinking about solutions, but leaders Mm. spend 95% of their time thinking about solutions and only 5% thinking about problems. So really getting into a solution oriented mindset is absolutely the key. You're exactly right. Would you talk to us a little bit about this place that you have created, the Influence Lab. Yeah, you know, it's funny that uh, we've had so many requests from particularly Christians internationally to help them use media more effectively that uh, at any given moment, I probably have eight or 10 invitations on my desk to come and teach anywhere around the world. And so what we started doing, my wife, Kathleen, and I launched the Influence Lab, which is a nonprofit. You can go to influencelab.com and see it. It's a nonprofit really designed to raise up people to help train Christians internationally to use media. And so we've taken Hollywood professionals, we've taken screenwriters and directors of photography and acting teachers. We've taken them overseas with us. We took a group to Cairo last year and we taught probably 40 Christians in Cairo, Egypt, how to produce better quality media because they produce 80 hours a month of TV programming on satellite for the Muslim world. And we've done it in Africa, we've done it in Asia, we've done it in South America. I really have a heart for teaching. Now, my wife, Kathleen, is also using our Influence Lab to reach women here in Hollywood. She has a heart for teaching and kind of inspiring women, Christian women who are professionals here in Hollywood. And so she meets regularly with a group. She calls it Influence Women, and they meet regularly to really to encourage each other with how they can impact culture more effectively. The bottom line is media is the language of the future. And as Christians, if we don't learn to speak that language effectively, we're going to lose this generation. If you look at a lot of other thoughts and movements and ideas that are out there that are not so positive, they have mastered media. And one of the reasons we as Christians are being marginalized is because we're not using media effectively. So I think if we could just learn to do that, I I could die a happy man. I think it would make a big difference in our witness to the world just to be able to engage the culture in the language of media. I love that. I love the Influence Lab. What you have been doing, you and your team and your wife, Kathleen, have been doing, we're just so grateful for it because you really are raising up a generation and generations of essentially media missionaries. Maybe in years past, you know, most people were called to literal geographical places and not that they're not, but even the ones that are, we're all going to have to be equipped to be media missionaries. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. And the illustration I use for a lot of people is that by population today, Facebook is the largest country on the planet. And the question I have is who's sending missionaries to that country? Who's planting churches in that country? Uh, We need to stop thinking about missions just in geographical terms, like you say, and start thinking about missions in digital terms. It's funny. I spoke to 50 pastors last week. I did a one hour teaching online on Zoom to 50 pastors last week who are launching new churches just online, 100% online. And so they've really started to embrace that idea. And, you know, we we never want to forget about church, church, having the physical church there and attending church, but we need to, at the same time, be, as you say, media missionaries and be able to use the internet and the web and social media. We just live in a remarkable, remarkable time. And I just want to take advantage of it. Yeah, it's so, so good. Well, you cover the ins and outs of that so well in your book. You really get into the details, which you've referenced in our conversation about learning to tell your story, not only that it has value, 
but to do it in a way that it's going to make impact, you know, and bringing that down. There's so many tools in that that are so helpful and so good. And then one thing I just wanted to ask you to touch on as we wrap up, I've heard you speak on this before, Phil, and it's the power of the early church is the power that we have right now. And they did not have access to the political world then. They didn't, you know, have all the money. They didn't, but what they did have was they were willing to serve. And that was in essence, their secret sauce. Would you talk a little bit about why you believe that? Yeah, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Way Back, Why Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. And rather provocative title, I'll admit. We thought I'm a producer, I'm a marketing guy, I'm a media guy. And I've always thought the reason we're losing you know, our place in the culture as Christians is because we're not telling our story well. And, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. However, once we started looking at the research, we discovered that the real problem is it's not a marketing problem. It's a sales force problem. We're, we're not living the life God's called us to live. I mean, the statistics are horrible. For instance, we found that if you go to church, this is before the lockdown, but if you go to church 18 times a year, you're considered a regular now. That's that's three out of eight Sundays. The pastor's thrilled and wow. he he's, thinks that's fantastic. We discovered that 40% of Christians in the pews today, church going Christians, read the Bible once a month, rarely or never. 63% of Christians in the pews on Sunday believe prayer is essential. And we thought, okay, that's a positive, that's a win. And then we realized the flip side of that means 37% of Christians, more than a third in the pews today, don't believe prayer is essential. So when you start Mm. looking at statistics like that, you realize, you know, the world calls us hypocrites, phonies, power hungry, lifestyle cops, all these negative things, but they're exactly right when you really look at the statistics because we're not living our lives like God's calls to do. And when we went, went back, we discovered really the last time that happened in a big way that people really did live their lives like the Bible says, was the early church. And they were serious about it. You know, when the plague would hit, Romans would run for their lives. Christians would race to ground zero, the worst part of the plague to minister to people they didn't even know at the risk of their own life. And when the people saw that, when the Romans saw that, it had a dramatic impact on them. And historians today say that a big reason Christianity became the dominant faith of the Western world is because of the behavior, the way those Christians, those early Christians acted. So I do believe today, if we Mm. could get more serious and committed about our faith, that we don't have to proclaim it. We don't have to talk about Christians on social media. We don't have to make a big deal about it. Just start with your neighbor. Start Mm -hmm. with people you know. Start really living the life God called you to live. And we'll start seeing, I think, dramatic results. Yeah. I love that so much. And I thank you for speaking to that because our culture right now is just screaming with opportunity to reach out and be solutions and answer problems. And that really is the motivation for right now. It is not waiting for a system of ministry to offer you an opportunity to do what's in you to do. You don't have to wait for that. Just look for somewhere, right? That needs somebody to serve and just go serve. So true. I read when we were writing that book, one statistic I came across is that more than 70% of Americans don't know their neighbor's name. So, hey, start there. No, take them a pie. That's you don't so have to, good. you don't have to witness to them. You don't have to share Christ right. with them. Just at least get to know them and start there. How hard is that? So I think yeah. if we could just do that, it would make such a big difference overall. And we'll just probably add because of the time that we're doing this podcast, keeping a strain of compassion 
through your social media at a time like this <laughs> yes. might just go a long way with that neighbor yes. too. It, I'm absolutely. Just absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I've discovered nobody changes because you yell at them or get mad at them. They only right. change when they, they feel a sense of trust with you. So the more trust we can build with our friends, whether okay. they're Christian or not, I think the stronger position we'll be in. That's so true. I love that. Phil, you offer so many great resources and content through your blog, which I want to mention, philcook.com. That blog is good. I went back and was binge reading those blogs over the weekend, and they're really great. You've got videos out on YouTube, tremendous resources, no matter what. If you're leading a nonprofit, if you're a pastor, ministry leader, great free resources there, and then much more through the Influence Lab and through your website, philcook.com. Phil, this has just been such a pleasure, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come talk with us, and we're probably going to be blowing up your email now asking to have you back again. So that was your fair warning. Oh, you're very kind. I can't imagine anybody listening to what I have to say, but I'm, I'm willing to talk, no question. And by the way, your questions are fantastic. I really did love it. It was great. Such a powerful conversation. There was so much strategy and insight in so many things that he shared. I think one of my favorite takeaways from this conversation is that there is a way for us to navigate all the change that's happening right now and to continue to fulfill our purpose. That rather than be overwhelmed by all of the change and disruption, we as people of God can make it work for us and break out of boxes, stepping in to new places. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast today. Don't forget to connect with Phil Cook at philcook.com. Take advantage of that blog. There's so much great information, his YouTube channel, and of course, get his book, Maximize Your Influence. I'm telling you, it is full of more great stuff just like this. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you back here next time. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.